0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day here in the capital in a week where we're not quite sure whether a global pandemic or Russian interference poses a greater threat to the country. I'm sure time will tell, of course, on that one. My name is Scott Challoner, the host of the programme today, and in each episode, I aim to bring together two new unique perspectives on leadership. I'm delighted to be joined first and foremost on the programme today by Colonel Michael K. Kingscote, the founder of Outposts, a residential uh, centre providing educational outdoor activities for schools and youth, corporate, special interest and family groups. Uh, Michael, very warm welcome to you today and thank you ever so much for joining us.
1: Good morning to you.
0: Good morning, Michael. Real pleasure having you. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to establish your take on leadership first and foremost. So if we begin by considering that word leader in a little bit more detail, I'm interested to understand what that word means to you and what you feel the role of a leader is.
1: Well, I think simply it's the ability to inspire people to do things that they would not necessarily do of their own volition. Um, would
0: how I would sum up the word leadership. And considering your sort of own personal leadership style, how would you describe that?
1: Uh, well, I always try to achieve the highest standards. That is um, right there. But I think that's sort of, that possibly has a military background to it. Um, also, to be a good leader, I think you have to have the, the highest standards of your own personal discipline and, and behaviour. Um I definitely have a sense of humor, and I try and maintain a sense of humility too. And also, um, the world has changed considerably in the time that I've been practicing leadership, which is now 50 years. And most importantly is to maintain an aura of classlessness. Everybody has got something to offer, and it's the ability to draw out from people that little gem that they may have in their mind that actually makes a good leader. Um, one has to have respect and respect for everybody. And I think that is, those, those would be the four sort of metiers that I would subscribe to.
0: And thinking of and that thinking military of that, background that you have as well there, Michael, um, would you say there are any elements of leadership from that career that you've been able to sort of transfer into the business world?
1: I think most of well, all of them. The, the interesting thing is when you transfer from being... A military man into the civilian world it is there is a watershed that you have to to deal with and that is that uh, it 's not a case of of, of giving instructions and i 've always subscribed to never asking somebody to do something that i either haven 't done myself or I could do myself and I think that, that's that 's really important but the um, ability to Understand what people are thinking and to listen to what people are thinking um, much more so now. Um, in, in, in operating a civilian business, it, it, is is very important indeed. Um, still, those four um, t- tenets that I talked about at the beginning—they—they—they they re- they very much um, form back the the background of what I'm doing now and the way I deal with people. And um, it's worked um, so far. <laughs>
0: And one of the biggest challenges for today's leaders, I think it's fair to say, has been the emergence of the ongoing COVID nineteen situation and how that has impacted everybody. Um, in your industry, Michael, just how difficult has it been adapting to the challenges of this new reality that we're all facing?
1: Well, Scott, in, in simple terms, we have had no business um, on site here in on our in, on our in, on our centre here since November last year. That gives you an idea of, of the of the shock that it, it's um, impacted upon us. Um, when the uh, the lockdown was imposed in March, I freely admit that I, I personally, and I'm sure all of the staff that uh, I have that work for us who are all furloughed, and they comprise a, an office of about seven and about 60 others who are employed um, freelance, and they, they rely on us for income during the summer. There was a moment where we were stunned by what um what had happened, um, and it took a moment to consolidate and think through and logically work out a way ahead. Um, now uh, one could have folded one's tent and left the field, if you understand what I mean, but mm. no that's not in my that's not in my makeup and certainly, talking to everybody, communication was absolutely vital. I talked to all of our staff every day on um Zoom just to keep in touch to find out what they were doing and also keeping in touch with our freelancers to, to let them know that we were still here. Sadly, we were not in a position to help the freelancers financially, but at least they know that we're still around. And since then, which is um in twice since then I've I've been updating them as to where we're going. And we've had to remodel considerably. So I think Scott, possibly patience and flexibility came straight through on that. Um, Mm. Yeah, that's about what I'd say, yeah.
0: And I can imagine that the mental health and well-being of those people has been at the forefront of the mind throughout this as well, because people do ultimately react to different circumstances differently, let alone a crisis of this magnitude. And so where some might sort of be a little bit more sort of relaxed about carrying on under new sort of procedures and being furloughed for others, they might just need that little bit more reassurance. And as a leader, it's about being sensitive to those needs as well.
1: Uh, Most certainly. And you can't be in everybody's house and you can't be in everybody's brain. Um, So what I've tried to do is to talk to people regularly, both publicly on Zoom and privately on the phone, and listen to what they've got to say. Those who've got children who have not been able to go to school have been impacted even more so. And more often than not, they haven't got a house where they can tuck themselves away in a room and work privately. Um, they've probably had to uh, homeschool their children. Um, their husbands have been at home as well, and they've had to work somewhere. It, it's been um, quite an interesting process. Finding You find out an awful lot about your staff. You also find out an awful lot about yourself. And that, again, comes back to, I think, patience and respect for them and understanding as to what they're going through.
0: And what things would you say that you have learned as you've adapted to this sort of new situation and about yourself and those around you? I can imagine it's really galvanised you in a way. Yeah, well, the I think the principal thing has been to take
1: one's time, not be hasty. Um, it's very, very easy to react very quickly. And I, um, the world it, it likes quick reactions. And as one, you know well, um, I prefer to... Think things through, and I really have had to think things through because an inopportune remark or a careless email um, saying something that is not going to happen or having to change subsequently does not do any good. And I think uh, one characteristic of of leadership which I've held up in addition to the four that I mentioned at the beginning is consistency. One has to be consistent. You can't keep flip-flopping, because if you do, people will lose confidence in you.
0: Mm, Exactly right. Um, It takes a great deal of leadership and decisiveness, proactivity, most importantly, having sort of plans in place, but also the ability to be reactive as well and adjust to changing guidelines and changing circumstances. Um, On that last point, changing guidelines, changing circumstances, much, of course, has been made of the leadership uh, from Westminster throughout the pandemic situation thus far. Um, Have you been satisfied throughout that you've sort of known exactly what's been expected of you? the guidelines are clear, the support is there, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? As um,
1: a person who's studied history and conflicts and situations, most campaigns are close-run things. Um, and I would think that anybody in the position of our Masters in Westminster have been under huge pressure. Um, one doesn't really know what they're going through. One doesn't really know the background. One only sees what one sees, whether it be um, on television or in the papers. Uh, I haven't got great communications to the what's going on behind the scenes. I think that there has been a degree of mixed messages, but that is the way things are. Um, one only got to cast one's mind back to, to you know, the, the financial crisis and obviously the two conflicts in the Middle East and, of course, the Falklands, where things were quite a close-run thing. And at the end, one came through. And it's very easy with hindsight to criticise, but I don't think that anybody could have done a great deal better than the organisation that's at Westminster at the moment. Uh, Because of the Of the unknowns and the conflicting information that's coming in, Mm. possibly, and it may have been simpler um, 20, 30 years ago when there weren't quite so many sources of information, and now um, there are. And when I'm talking to people about um, leadership and getting the best intelligence, which is always vital, it it always comes down to a balance. You have to believe, have to run with a course of action, um, and justify why you're running with that course of action, and if it doesn't work, you change it. So I think to answer your question, all these things are closer on things, Scott.
0: I think um, that's absolutely right. I understand exactly where you're coming from, from that point of view. And we know that over the course of the next 12 to 18 months or however longer it takes um, for COVID-19 to no longer become an issue, um, that we're going to have to adjust to a new normal way of living. So if we think about the challenges that that new normal is going to bring, what is next for you, Michael, and for the Outposts organisation? And what do you really hope to achieve during this time?
1: Uh, Straight to the heart. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, the first thing is overseas operations. I am cancelling those now completely for a variety of reasons. First, there's huge uncertainty. We concentrate on Africa um, and nothing is very stable there. And I've sadly had to stand down my suppliers over there. Um, Also, we've discovered that there are various government regulations, EU and government regulations, which mitigate against um, travel overseas. So, That's the first thing, and I'm going to concentrate now on developing what we can in the United Kingdom. Um, We have seen five of our big six corporate plans, very well-known, household names, cancel for this year. But one of them said, um, which I think is showing confidence, um, said keep the deposit, we'll come back next year. And I think I'm going to concentrate on developing the leadership programs we have here on site for corporate people. Um, I think there will be a demand for that. Um, As you well know, some of the big companies have stopped recruiting and there have been many redundancies, but downstream, if the company is going to survive, they're going to have to start recruiting and training, and that is what I'm going to concentrate on, certainly for 2021, and the rest is a bit of a dim beacon on the horizon.
0: It is really only speculation at the moment, isn't it, of what might come in the future. And considering um, the fact that it's probably much better to actually wait till the time comes and then reassess exactly what has happened and where we need to go from there. I think it would be wonderful, Michael, to catch up with you and have you back on the show with us in a few months' time, just to see where we are at at that point, when hopefully there will be a little bit more positive news to share.
1: Well, that's very kind. Um, I hope I'm still here.
0: I certainly hope so Worm, um, as well, Michael, for sure. It's been a real pleasure having you join us on the, uh, the programme today. And most importantly, until we do touch base again, hopefully in future, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on, because we are most certainly not out of the woods yet. No,
1: we're not. No. Thank you so much,
0: Scott. I was speaking today to Colonel Michael Kingscote, founder of Outposts, and coming up next on the programme today I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is today an active member of the House of Lords, Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of course a prominent former Labour MP and Secretary of State. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with Lord Blunkett, and all of that is of course coming
2: Normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can. Uh, dear to the PAYE for furloughing staff and of course whether they can receive the the grant 10,000 or 25,000. All all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who, who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world. And being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
3: Do you feel that the long-term effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? and you're absolutely right. In a in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um,
2: well, the the UK and um, and the US and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries have a very different hi- interest uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. has gone over the top, and that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.
3: Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice, Uh, the health secretary often chairs corporate meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a Secretary of State, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages?
2: I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows, those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential Cobra meetings what I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it so looking back I think Boris himself probably thinks god I Wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today.
3: Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um,
2: Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts if i might use that term who'd previously been denigrated mm-hmm. scientists medics people with behavioral science uh, understanding my only criticism was were we getting wide enough advice were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in london but that's because i've always been adverse to everything being london-centric i think there's great expertise wisdom experience out in the sticks and uh, we should use it. Uh,
3: Rightly so. Um, Now, was pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary?
2: Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real, on the back of that, but it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh, where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics, and of course we we saw SARS and other things emerging, I, I think it would. People have criticised the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. This is true of business planning, of course, as well and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh- cut, uh, shut shutdown, um, these kind of things you, you can look at, but you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS or what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed?" nations that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened, but very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I have put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, Mm -hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food, a lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well.
3: So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber
2: warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think, again, thinking of... Thinking global but acting local, we need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime. Without creating even more anxiety, we can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.